Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 30th episode, the Julian Palmer episode. Some of you guys may know him as uh, the driver with Renault. Some of you may know him as the pundit and commentator on F1 TV. I personally enjoy his post-race analysis um, from time to time. I think it's great. Um, But this is a huge episode, guys. Not only is it number 30, we also have an official champion of the season, uh, not constructors, but drivers. Uh, constructors can be won very soon. We have off-track drama regarding the cost gap and the FIA. And we got some driver market news as well. So tons to go over. So let's get straight back to Suzuka and review this Japanese Grand Prix. It's lights out and away we go. All right, story going into the weekend. I think... We all have to say this is all about Red Bull, Honda, and the strong opportunity Max Verstappen had to secure the driver's title. Honda is the title sponsor of the race, and they even got a sticker on Red Bull for the uh, for the weekend. Um, the HRC logo's been there. I don't know if you guys are familiar with HRC. It's basically like Honda Racing, and they got the actual Honda logo. Um, just small on like the back of the engine cover for this race. Not a huge deal, but I think it's more of a symbolic thing. I, I was listening to the race and they had like a whole podcast episode, uh, episode, uh, dedicated to this topic and they kind of are all on the same page that yes, it, it's a symbolic move and you know, it's because Honda pulled out at the worst time again, classic Honda move and Let's be honest, that Red Bull powertrain's engine is a Honda engine. And um, one of the guys on the race was saying they basically built a championship-winning engine, probably the best engine on the grid, and they're getting no credit for it. So Honda, we all think, wants back in F1, possibly in 2026. So that's why this is kind of a symbolic move. And this behind-the-scenes stuff is hard for me. I'm not an F1 reporter as much as I would like to be. Uh, so that's why I'm kind of, you know, taking the information from those guys and just kind of sharing that with you guys really quickly. Um, but also a big part of this weekend was the forecast. It was wet yet again. Uh, Saturday was the only dry running of the weekend. So we're going to go straight into Saturday. We're not even going to talk about Latifi turning, uh, onto the wrong corner of the track. Oops. I did bring it up, but anyway, um, move, if you didn't see that, just, uh, that yeah I mean I guess if you don't watch practice and you don't follow F1 on social medias but then again if you don't follow F1 on social medias and you're listening to this podcast you are either in my family or <laughs> you're just I don't know that's yeah I guess that's just strange I would say that following F1 on social medias comes before listening to podcasts but hey you never know um anyway Let's let's go into Q1. The Alpha Towers were reporting brake issues, um, and it almost cost them with both cars. It, it was looking bad. They were locking up into a lot of the big braking zones, but luckily, hometown boy Yuki Sonoda was able to get out of Q1, make it into Q2. Unfortunately, Gasly joined the Williams pair as well as Magnussen and Stroll in the bottom five. In Q2. At this point, Ricardo was actually looking very strong in qualifying and actually tweeted out, this is probably the smallest gap I've seen between the midfield and uh, the top teams in quali. And Ricardo, I just threw it on the end. I'm like, this guy's looking quick right now. And then on this final runs, he just, 
He didn't put it together like the rest did. And he was undone by an unbelievable lap from Sebastian Vettel in his Aston Martin. Vettel goes 10th fastest, beating the Aussie by 3 milliseconds. Yikes. I, I felt for Daniel there. I felt that uh, he could have had a good result. But unfortunately, you got you to gotta be able to do it on that final run. He did not. So he joined the Alfa Romeo pairing as well as Mick Schumacher. They were not really that close to uh, being in there. Bottas was kind of close. Um, but the dream of a Yuki Sonoda brilliant result uh, was curtailed by brake issues again, costing him a shot at Q3. I'm not sure if he would have made it there anyway, but it certainly ended all hopes. Um, and then moving into Q3, and like I said, super tight between the midfield and top teams until this point where Red Bull and Ferrari really showed their might putting the gap between, you know, the midfield teams and them, kind of what we expected them to do. Um, and it was actually the Alpine of Esteban Ocon, not the Mercedes, who were going best of the rest. It wasn't a Lando Norris. We've seen that quite a few times this year. Um, while Verstappen, Leclerc, and Sainz were oh so close to each other in the fight for pole. Verstappen put a great banker lap in. And that lap actually was the one that secured him pole position. Leclerc was one one hundredth of a second off of Verstappen's pole time, while Sainz slotted into P3 just under six hundredths off. Perez was P4, kind of in a not that close to Verstappen or the Ferraris, but also way ahead of Esteban Ocon. So I guess shout out Esteban. Uh, Vettel, I think, qualified P9. Um, Hamilton again out qualifies Russell. I think I just heard today, or I saw somewhere that Hamilton's last in the last ten races, Hamilton's like eight two up on George and Quali. Um, it does certainly seem that Hamilton's had the upper hand on George recently, but damn, I did not know it was that big. So Lewis has always been extremely strong and extremely hard to beat over one lap. But wow, for I mean. How far back he is in the championship, I would not expect that big of a gap in quality. I mean, it is only the last 10 races, and George George got off to a good start. But, yeah, that, that shocked me when I heard that today. Um, anyway, let's, let's get into this race. Um, it was a short one. Uh, the time, uh, or sorry, it wasn't delayed this time. I was about to, to get into it and say it was delayed, but the start actually wasn't delayed. Um, however, after lap one, it was kind of looking like we were going to get spot 2021 all over again uh, due to the weather and, you know, the, the treacherous track conditions. However, we did get a start and a lap one, and it was a standing start too. And yeah, uh, on lap one, we got Charles getting the better start than Max, and it looked like he was actually going to take the place, but... Max, he had the lesser start, but he was on the outside, and he really used that to his advantage. Was absolutely brilliant to keep the lead. Um, and Stroll, Stroll actually had a bag of start. If you watch his onboard, it, it is ballsy. Like, what a brave start from Lance Stroll. Absolute hats off to him. That was crazy. A really good start. I think it got him up to, like, P7 or something like that. It was crazy. Um, but unfortunately it actually may have cost him because his teammate Vettel, who I just said had a great qualifying was completely undone. Um, he had the worst start of all hitting Alonso 
However, it actually gave him the best opportunity to score big points. You'll see that in a second. So to just finish off quickly what happened on lap one, um, big crash from Carlos Sainz and a retirement from Alex Albon. There's first a safety car and then a lengthy red flag period. Such a lengthy red flag period. It was an absolute nightmare for North Americans who were planning on staying up to watch the the race at 1 a.m., um, so if you, that was you. I, I feel bad for you. The race did not start till 3.15 a.m. where I'm at. Um, so yeah, not fun. However, the talk of this two-hour red flag delay was not so much about getting the race started or even, you know, some of the collisions. I know they like to replay those over and over and over. It was actually more about the FIA's decision to get a recovery vehicle on the track in those treacherous conditions when visibility is awful I could just imagine what the drivers are going through because those onboards I couldn't see anything and we have Pierre Gasly who not only he had a kind of a scary incident with um one of like the the billboards on the side I don't know if it's called a billboard but it's like an advertisement board on the side of the track like a lot of the tracks have this and it actually broke off and basically got like lodged in his car it was a very strange sight I was so confused I thought he had like a piece of Ferrari in his wing at first but no it's just an advertisement board and he's driving around the track at like 200 kilometers an hour and he can barely see this recovery vehicle go past him and Gasly understandably was furious on the radio and after when he got out of his car and this yeah, this was basically the conversation of the whole red flag. Everyone was talking about um, that that that's unacceptable, and the reason this also became an even bigger thing than it it still would have been a big thing, but it made it even worse because if you've listened to this podcast, I've brought him up actually a couple times before. Um, episode seventeen was completely dedicated to him. And I'm talking about Jules Bianchi because he passed away in 2014 at the Japanese Grand Prix. And it was basically a very similar incident as to what we, we just had here. Um, the, 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 the rain is heavy. Uh, visibility is poor. And there is a tractor on the track while cars are still going around. Well, the tractor wasn't on the track, but you know what I mean. It was... It was in play of the cars. Um, and Gasly, who was a close friend of Jules Bianchi, was furious for that reason. The fact, to do it in Japan in a similar scenario, um, just really, like, if we think about it, we're only eight years removed from this. He is the last person to to pass away in F1. I shouldn't say person, last driver um, to pass away during an on-track incident. And the fact that they the FIA has done this in Japan has just kind of like exacerbated the whole thing. I think that's a, the proper word. So, yeah, no, not not good at all. Not a good look from the FIA. It's just kind of like a use your head moment. Uh, many of the drivers um, were, I wouldn't say in support of Gasly because they're talking about their own safety as well. And, you know, Checo was vocal about it, uh, as well as a few other drivers. Uh, I couldn't, couldn't, they couldn't, I, there was more than what I can count on my hand, drivers who were vocal about this um, tractor on the track 
all pretty much in agreement that it was unacceptable. And yeah, I hope the FII learned from this because the last thing the sport needs ever, doesn't matter how well the sport is doing, the last thing that F1 needs is another moment like we had in 2014. That was probably one of the darkest moments in F1 history. So yeah, I guess it's hard to talk about because what else are you going to say? It just, it just is unacceptable. And yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's really hard to talk about because it's frustrating, you know, um, we love this sport and when, you know, the, the people that we aspire or admire, I should say, um, are put in dangerous situations like that, you know, it's just, no one wants to see that. So, or talk about it for that matter, but I feel like I had, it had to be addressed. It was the topic of the entire red flag session. Um, so yeah, anyway, I apologize that, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about, but yeah, eventually the race did restart. Let's, let's, let's get back into the race. It was only 45 minutes on this stupid clock that I hate. Hadn't seen the clock since Monaco, which was fantastic. Um, but yeah, jeez, I hate that thing. Um, and because it was a rolling start, everyone had to start on the blue walled extreme wet tire. And this is why those at the back, like Gasly and Vettel and Latifi, were able to strap on the inters and not have to worry about traffic like someone at the front would. And the rest of the teams quickly realized when Vettel set the fastest lap of the race that this was the way to go. And even though, you know, Vettel hit Alonso at the initial race start and went all the way to the back, uh, it actually put him in a great spot to undercut, like, everyone on the grid. Pretty much everyone was in on the next couple of laps, bar Schumacher and Joe and I think maybe a couple others that gambled, but Schumacher and Joe were the ones they stayed up the longest, and they were running quite high, but, you know, they were swallowed up by everybody on the much quicker tire. Um, However, Vettel, he actually, somehow from like 18th or P19 or whatever it was, got himself up into like the middle of the point scoring positions. He was like back into P6 or something absolutely wild just from that and Latifi you know as well he he was also right up there with Vettel and running in like P8 so great strategy call from both Williams and Aston Martin there however they had to be you had to be in that position to be able to make that decision for sure Um, but yeah from there it was smooth sailing for Verstappen Leclerc was falling off the pace lap by lap it really started with um I think Leclerc got caught up behind either Joe or Schumacher a little bit longer than Max did. It allowed Max to just, because when you're stuck behind that way slower car, it's like three seconds a lap difference. And if you had to spend one more lap behind them, that's three seconds advantage that Max has already pulled out on you. And these guys are very tight. It's not like Charles can just pull that right back in. So Leclerc is actually falling into Checo's clutches, unfortunately. Um... And there was plenty of drivers kind of stuck in traffic. Hamilton being the biggest one, we basically watched his onboard the entire race, stuck behind Esteban Ocon. He had much more pace in the in the corners, but he lacked so much top speed on the straights. It was basically impossible to get past the Frenchman. All he had to do, the uh, Ocon that is, had to drive a mistake free and you know place his Alpine in the right spot into some of the racier corners where overtaking is possible. And basically, he was going to stay ahead because every time Lewis got out of that slipstream, Ocon would pull away. It's not like they were even level. Like, Ocon was 
pulling away as soon as Hamilton pulled out of the slipstream to overtake on the straights. So he would get right up behind them, but could just never make the move stick because they were so poor on the straights. Um, Overtaking was possible. I think we got some brilliant moves from George Russell, who was pretty upset when he came out in like P13, P14, um, when Mercedes went for the double stack. Uh, He still believes it was a bad decision, but I think at the end of the day, had Russell stayed out another lap, he would have came out around the same area. I don't think it would have benefited him any better. It was just tough. I think it's one of those races where you just have to out-qualify your teammate if you want to be good, get put into a good position. You know, uh, Alonso, for example, he wasn't put in a great spot either, even though his qualifying was, was fine. I think Alonso qualified sixth, um, which is good in an Alpine. However, it was behind his teammate, so he fell, he fell behind and he kind of had some uh, climbing to do to get back into a, a spot that he deserved to be in. Um, however, we, we get, we get to the end of the race. Um, it's quite boring up until the very end, in my opinion, because the broadcast had us under the impression that half points would probably be awarded for this very short race. It was less than 30 laps. Um, however, a one, two for Red Bull in Japan would still be pretty special. So that was kind of interesting. And Checo was getting really close to Leclerc. Um, in the end, when Checo was right on the tail of Leclerc, ran in the last lap, they're going into the final chicane. It looked like Leclerc was going to hold on, but then he goes straight on. He cuts the chicane and kind of dangerously drives to keep on to P2. He was quickly given a five-second penalty. The drivers were barely out of their cars before he got a five-second penalty. It hadn't been, um... Signal the drivers weren't like signaled about this five second penalty. I think like Johnny Herbert got it in his earpiece or something because I don't know how he figured it out either. Um, because there was this confusion after the race. Johnny's interviewing Max, you know, it's congratulations on the race win. Uh, you have a really good chance to win it in Austin. And then he goes to interview Leclerc or Perez or whatever it was. And then he calls Max back and he's like, Yo, Max, you're actually the champ, bro. And Max is like, oh, cool. What can I say? Ha ha ha. And there's this awkward, like, lame celebration. Then we move to the cooldown room. Max still not sure if he's the champion. Um, then then it was confirmed by someone in there. And then he goes and sits in this room all by himself. And then he's come back and he's like, it's lonely in there. I don't want to sit in there. And, yeah, it, it was the probably most awkward and anticlimactic way to win a title I've ever seen. And, yeah, I kind of feel bad for Max in a way. I mean, he did just dominate a season, which I will give him an entire segment. Uh, Don't you worry. But, yeah, what a very lame way. If I was a Max fan, I would be kind of disappointed and just kind of like they still got to party afterwards, and I'm sure that was an absolute blast for Red Bull. But, you know, that's not on television. So for the fans, I think that was a bit of a letdown for, you know, their team and their driver winning the championship but hey I if I was a fan of any driver and they won the championship I would not be complaining so the final results in Suzuka were P1 Max Verstappen clinching the title with a dominant victory he was I think 27 uh, 27 seconds ahead of P2 in like a 28 lap race so yeah take that in um Perez he was in P2 forced Leclerc into the late air that helped Max take the championship in Honda Land P2 
P3 was Leclerc, who just could not hold on to his tires at all. Oquan was P4 after a great display of defense and handling the pressure from Hamilton, who was P5. Vettel, P6 at his favorite track. Great strategy from Aston Martin. Great driving, of course, as well. He held on to that position just at the very end. Alonso, P7, with a quite interesting strategy. At some point, he was just stuck behind Vettel and could not make the move, so they gambled. They go put on new inters. Alonso like, kind of falls back a few positions as well, three or four positions, and he was absolutely rapid. I have no idea how he didn't set fastest lap. Guan Yu Zhou swept fastest lap, or Zhou Guan Yu. Sorry, I think that's the first time I've ever made that mistake. Um, but yeah, he sets fastest lap. That was kind of crazy, so congratulations to Zhou on that one. But it's funny, Alonso basically gets back to the exact position he was stuck in anyway. So it was a little bit more of a fun race for old Nando. Um, but yeah, he was so close to getting Vettel at the line. Vettel just holds on. And we didn't even get to see it on F1 TV direction because they're stupid. They were probably watching Max go around the victory lap for some stupid reason. Um, but yeah, Fernando has to settle for six points. P8 was Russell. He wasn't too happy with his strategy, like I said. And guys, P9, we finally have point scores for every driver on the grid. Nicholas Latifi. Latifi scored points, guys. The great strategy from Williams. And then he had absolutely no tires at the end of the race, but he held on. So you have to give props to Latifi. He didn't make any mistakes. He was basically guaranteed to start from P20 at the beginning of this weekend because of the grid penalty he had, and he scores points here. I wish I'd put a couple bucks on that. That is awesome. So congratulations, Nikki. I know you're on the way out already, and even he said that a performance like this wouldn't have changed his outcome at all because he knows it's about consistency. It's not about one good result like this, and he was obviously very fortunate to be in the position that he was being at the back. Great call from Williams and a great drive from Latifi. So congrats on your first points of the season, Nikki. Um, and P10 was Lando Norris, who salvaged a point on a pretty bad day for McLaren. Uh, and Daniel was P11. And I actually feel like had they maybe prioritized, I don't know, it's hard to say because with Daniel had actually got a better start and Lando got a bad start. The further back you were, it almost helped you because those were the guys you wanted to bring in first. Um, but I feel like maybe had they brought in Daniel first, Daniel could have actually had a better result today. It's hard. I, I would have to go back and look at it. Um, but Daniel did finish P11 on a day that I think he actually maybe could have finished ahead of Lando. But it is what it is. Either way, McLaren is probably not scoring anywhere near the points as Alpine with Ocon up in P4. So the Drivers' Championship, Max Verstappen clinches it in 2022. But the fight for P2 is still on. Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez separated by only one point in favor of Checo now. Um, falling further behind in that fight yet again is George Russell, who is in P4. And Carlos Sainz also in P5, who crashed out, right? So only four points between the two of them. Um, Sainz is now five points behind Russell and 51 points behind Perez. So those two are kind of out of that fight now. Hamilton has been in P6 for what feels like pretty much all season now since I think Australia, no, Australia he would have been ahead. I think Max was pretty far behind in Australia, but probably Imola. I think Imola Hamilton is probably in P6, and he's been there since. 
yeah, maybe maybe Lando was ahead of him at that point. I'm not sure. Lando did get on the podium, so. Um, anyway, he's still 22 points away from Sainz. 79 points, though, ahead of Lando and P7. Ocon picked up a decent haul of points to extend his lead over teammate Fernando Alonso, which is now stretched to P, uh, not to P13, <laughs> now stretched to 13 points. They're still quite a ways behind Lando. Um, and then in P10 is Bottas, who I think I've said this pretty much every post-race episode, still remains scoreless since Canada. What round was that, you ask, Brad? It was round nine. There's only four races to go in this 22-race calendar, and Bottas has not scored since round nine, and he is still in P10. That's how good of a start Alfa Romeo had. Anyway, can't wait to bring this up in this next part because when we talk about the constructors, Red Bull, they can wrap it up in Austin, leading Ferrari by 165 points, while the Scuderia lead Mercedes by 67 points. Alpine retake the lead over McLaren for P4 and another big point swing. Alfa Romeo stays P6, but even less comfortably because guess what, guys? Aston Martin takes another haul of points courtesy of Sebastian Vettel, and they are now only 7 points away. Aston scored eight points alone on this weekend. Alfa Romeo has only scored one point since Canada. It is going down to the wire, guys, and I'm telling you, I was the first person to say this. I just was, okay? I don't care if you heard it from somewhere else. It was me. (laughs) I did not hear anyone talking about when Aston Martin was ninth and in the trash how they were going to be a real shot at P6. And look at me now. It's a real it's a real shot. They do need more than just P10 still. There's four races to go. Four P10s isn't going to do it. They they need P7s, P8s. Um, it can be one at a time like we just had here with a P6. Obviously, one P6 is going to do it. Um, but yeah, Alfa Romeo has has not even really got close to scoring points. The fact that they didn't score in Singapore is just a really bad look for them. I mean, of course, Joe got, you know, taken out by Latifi. But the fact that Bottas couldn't get it done, he was one of, like, the four classified drivers that didn't score in that race. Two of them were Hasses. One of them was George, who was a miles down because of his slick gamble. And still... Valtteri Bottas cannot get in to the points. So, yeah. I, I I don't know. Let's see let's see what happens. I'm actually really looking forward to this P6 battle. Anyway, Haas and AlphaTauri stay tied at 34 points, but Haas has P8 over AlphaTauri on comeback. Comeback, wow. Countback. Um, while Williams take another two points, but are still super, super far away from challenging for P9. Now it's time for my prize demise and surprise. All right, guys, the prize I already said to you guys, I'm going to give Max an entire segment in a sec. So I'm not going to give him the prize just for that. He, he really does get the prize, but I'm choosing to speak about someone else. And that is Sebastian Vettel. This is his favorite track. He was super emotional all weekend about it. Um, I've never heard somebody after a qualifying session in their final race, or not even the final, the final race at that circuit, but there's still four to go, and he was wasn't teary or anything, but you could just tell how much you know passion he has for this sport and how much love he has 
for the Japanese people and the circuit um, that is Suzuka. And it felt amazing to see him get Q3 in that Aston Martin, a car that he's really struggled to qualify with all season long. And then he gets super fortunate in the race, but still drove brilliantly. And to get that huge points haul for Aston Martin, that I think honestly kind of puts them clear of Hassan Alfatari. They're at worst finishing P7 now. And they have a real shot at P6. I think this really actually meant a lot to Seb. Um, you know, he's wearing that that sick like bandana that you know the, the sushi chefs or whatever <laughs> i i don't know i don't i really don't know what it is but it's like that white japanese bandana thing super cool seb was definitely loving life this weekend and i just want to give him my prize not really based on performance or anything i just think this was a great you know great memory to have in his last um in his last season in f1 and you know this guy is an absolute legend he's extremely likable especially at the tail end of his F1 career. And I just couldn't be any happier for the guy. So that's why he gets my prize. But the true prize is going to Max Verstappen, and I will be talking about him quite a bit in just a moment. But we have to do my demise first, and that, unfortunately, is Charles Leclerc. I think this one's for obvious reasons. Not only does he, you know, he make another crucial mistake that, you know, I mean, it didn't cost him the championship. It was over anyway. But it's just kind of like another, you can look back and, yep, he he blew it here again. He didn't even keep his chances alive. Um, and it just really highlights the issues with that Ferrari car. It's really fallen off. And speaking of falling off, that is exactly what it does every single race now uh, against the Red Bull. And... You know, I think that's just going to be a perfect segue into my surprise um, because I don't really think I have to go that much over why Leclerc is the demise. I mean, he had a real shot at the world championship and he didn't get it. Um, he was just bested by a better team and frankly, a better driver. So, yeah, the segue into the surprise is the difference between Max's and Charles tires after the race. If you haven't seen this photo, you have to go look at it. And it basically confirms what we all know already and that is how much work the ferrari puts into their front tires charles had literally no tread he had no tread after the race while max's they don't look like fresh inters they look like they've been you know used for 20 or so laps but there's still tread on that tire leclerc is basically into full slick territory already so no wonder this guy was going so slow at the end of the race i actually think had Leclerc pitted and lost all those positions, I think he could have overtaken everyone really quickly because, you know, even even if Ferrari was suffering from the worst tire dag, everyone was still feeling it a little bit, and it showed when, you know, Fernando Alonso went for that gamble and Joe Guan Yu put on new tires. He Freaking Joe Guan Yu was able to set the fastest lap. So imagine how quick, like, Leclerc was quick at the beginning. Imagine how quick he could have been. I actually think he could have been able to make some moves even on um maybe not maybe not Perez I mean that's the thing when he really was close to holding on to P2 so in the end it probably was the right decision it just didn't work out I just think that like it almost would have been just as quick to do it though because Leclerc would have been very quick had he put on those tires it's just that there is that risk of getting caught up in traffic so yeah, you just have to see this photo. Um, if I had a video podcast, I would show it to you guys because it is 
shocking the difference between their front tires. Um, so yeah, that has to be the biggest surprise. I knew the dag on the Ferrari was bad versus the Red Bulls, who just look way better at them. The car just looks better as a manager of a race, let alone the pace and everything else. Um, but yeah, that was absolutely shocking, guys. I there's just no other way to put it. So now let's toot the horn of the champion and go into the championship segment. Well, the the name of this one can only be really one name, and that is uh, what a season from Max Verstappen. And I'm going to just quickly go over this guy's entire season. You're going to think, the entire season, how, how are you going to do this quickly, you say? Quickly go through his entire season. Okay, Brad, let, let's see you do that. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do. Bahrain. Max, he doesn't win, and of course he ends up retiring, but, you know, what a battle, what a show of racecraft, and he never let up until the end. He made no errors. Leclerc was brilliant that day, and the Ferrari was a better car to start the season, let's just be honest. Then we go to Saudi Arabia. We know the Red Bull is very fast in a straight line. It is a very power-hungry track, but still, he was, I think, fourth after qualifying. Maybe he was third. I, I can't quite remember because I just I know he wasn't in the top two. Perez is actually on pole. Perez gets unlucky with the safety car. But Max was still cerebral in that race. And what he did at the end to get past Leclerc, using playing the DRS games, was brilliant. A flawless race from Max Verstappen. Let me go to Australia. Probably one of his worst performances of the season. Leclerc gets the Grand Slam. Leclerc was absolutely dominant, and the Red Bull just could not hang with the Ferrari that day. But in in a way, really, Max didn't really do anything wrong. His car just didn't have the pace. He, of course, retires again. Not his fault. We go to Imola. Imola, absolutely flawless. Max points. Literally, max points. Sprint win. Fastest lap and uh, the win in the feature race. He was brilliant and absolutely smoked Checo and Charles Leclerc in this one. Could not hang with him. Miami, power-hungry track. But guess what? Nobody can hang with Max yet again. It was the Ferraris on the podium with Max Verstappen, not Checo Perez. And even though at the beginning of the season the car um, was more to Perez's liking, Max was the one coming out with the win in Miami. Another faultless performance. Then we go to Spain, another race that Leclerc probably could have won, but he didn't. And when the opportunity came, even though Max put it in the gravel, even though he had no DRS and struggled to get behind George Russell, as soon as he got into that free air, his pace was unmatched. And everyone said that Perez, you know, could have had a chance to win had Red Bull gave him a little bit of a better strategy. However, it was inevitable. Max Verstappen was going to win the race as soon as Leclerc was out. And again, Really, a faultless performance besides that trip to the gravel. And even how he got himself out of the gravel was so impressive. Um, I know had Hamilton, you know, been in the mix, he was setting fastest laps. He could have been there. But I really think nobody was hanging with Max Verstappen on that day, even a quick Lewis Hamilton. Max was unbelievable as soon as that opportunity. He smelled blood and, you know, he, he took the... He took the opportunity that he was given and ran away with it. In Monaco, this was his actual worst performance of the season. 
he kind of got beat up by his teammates. So I won't spend too much on this one. Monaco was an L for Max, and he got lucky to even be on the podium. So bad weekend, but hey, we're at, what, round seven, and he's had one bad weekend. Azerbaijan, Perez, the street king, uh, had a better qualifying than Max. And, yeah, Max didn't look too, too quick in quality. But then we get to the race, and he, again, is in a world of his own. Checo struggles massively on his tires. Leclerc and Sainz double DNF. Of course, we know the Ferrari story. At this point, it was really, really rough for them. But Max, again, there was just nothing anyone can do. He smokes Perez again, absolutely dominates the race, takes an easy win. Then we move to Canada. One of the most cold-blooded things I've ever seen at the end of that race with Sainz on the fresher tires, chasing Max down the whole time. Absolutely cold-blooded, cold as ice, man. Max puts on an absolutely great, just smart performance, keeping his head and keeps Carlos Sainz behind him, denying him his first victory. Then we go to Britain. Of course, he looks like he is probably going to win the race. He's in the mix, and he runs over. Well, actually, he passes Sainz um, to take the lead, but then he runs over that debris. And with that piece of Alvatari stuck in his floor, still manages to pull out a P7. I honestly think that most drivers, most teams would have just called it a day. This guy with probably zero balance in his car still manages to pull out a P7. Fan-freaking-tastic. Honestly, one of his most underrated drives. I think just because it was P7 and he's battling with Haas, people kind of like meme it, but they're, they're sleeping on that drive. That was extremely impressive. Then we go to Austria. Again, for whatever reason, the Red Bull, I just don't think, had the car that day. Red uh, Ferrari was just much better. That was the one time that we saw Ferrari weirdly have better tire tag. So I think we can kind of blame... Um, and we didn't get to see what Perez could do because he got shunted off by uh, by George Russell. So this one's kind of hard to judge. I, it's hard to blame Max because it really just didn't seem like he had the car. But, you know, he was on pole and he didn't convert and he lost to the Ferrari. So who knows? That one, that one's hard to judge. France, again, looks like he, he might be really close to fighting for that win. Leclerc makes a massive mistake. But it's the pressure that Max was putting on him. That forced Leclerc into that mistake, really. And again, as soon as Leclerc's out, Max drives off into the distance. Nobody even close to him. Hungary. This is where Max absolutely kicks it into a new gear. He starts horribly in a P10 position in qualifying. With, you know, it was a mistake in qualifying. However, in the race, he gets off to a great start. Climbs his way through the field. As soon as he's looking like he's about to take the lead, he spins, you know, gives the position back. Doesn't matter. He climbs right back. Leclerc on the hard tires was a mistake. But, again, as soon as Max got to the top, nobody can hang with him. And he absolutely dominated that weekend despite starting 10th and spinning in the race. We get the summer break. We go to Belgium. The most dominant victory I've ever seen in well, I did watch the 2008 British Grand Prix when Lewis lapped the field up to fourth place, so that might be the most dominant victory I've seen, but it was wet, and it was just kind of a different circumstance with strategy and everything. This is just a straight fight, and Max Verstappen dominates in qualifying, 
gets put to the back of the grid and literally just carves through the field at will. Absolutely insane. It was the most inevitable thing I've ever seen. And literally going forward after that race, it was like, who's going to stop this man? Netherlands puts it on pole, cruises to a victory, even with um, some tough circumstances with late safety cars and everything. Monza, again, you knew it was going to happen. He starts... It took a five-place penalty or ten-place penalty. Yeah, five-place penalty. Starts seventh. Again, inevitable. Eventually, he gets to the front. He just brings that gap down, and Ferrari basically got forced into it on a less-than-ideal strategy because Max was too fast. It didn't matter. Max was going to win that day regardless. He was just too good. And then Singapore has one of the toughest weekends of his career for sure, but I think... Had they not made that mistake in qualifying, he would have been on pole and he would have drove off into the distance yet again. Leclerc might have been on his tail for a bit at the beginning, but he would not overtake him at Singapore. And it probably would have been the same thing where he fell off at the end. And Max probably would have went on to win by 10, 15 seconds, if not more. And then in Japan, we get the same thing. A 28-lap race. He wins by 27 seconds. Yeah, that is how you win a championship, folks. And that is an absolute domination. And he is going to break the record for most wins in a season. Of course, it is a bit of a strange record because we keep getting more and more races every season. However, still absolute insanity. Max Verstappen, I, I said it a while ago, he has a real shot at just smashing every record in the record books. It will come down to whether Red Bull gives him the car or not. If he has the car year in and year out, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind, he will smash the records. Smash the records. Just insane. What a talent for F1. And what what a like just a champion of the of the Netherlands as well. Which I think is a perfect segue because enough about Max. What just what a champion! We're gonna segue straight into the that he is not the only Dutch driver anymore, guys. We're gonna do a bit of quick fire news here. De Vries he signs with AlphaTauri, meaning that Gasly becomes available to Alpine. So Gasly goes to Alpine. We now have a French lineup at the Enstone base team. We have De Vries at AlphaTauri, two Dutchmen in kind of the Red Bull family, along with Perez and Sonoda. And it came out that Verstappen was actually instrumental in getting De Vries to AlphaTauri. He told him after that race in Monza to call Helmut Marco and see what they can do. That's where Red Bull's interest came from. It was because of Max, which I think is super cool. So hats off to Max there because I've always wanted De Vries on the grid. And it turns out, all he had to do was, you know, get get Max Verstappen to connect him with Helmut Marco. No, of course it took De Vries had to do that race, and he got so lucky that it was Monza, not like Singapore or some other race that Williams had just no chance. So you know, sometimes in life those are the breaks that you need. So he finally gets his seat in Formula One after you know he won the F two in twenty nineteen. And it's now been three seasons without a seat. So he finally gets one in 2023. That's awesome. Gasly and Ocom, they actually like took a picture together saying that they're happy to be working together for next year. So I'm hoping that it doesn't, um, you know, kind of blow up in their faces. I think 
Alpine still absolutely fumbled the bag, but getting a guy like Gasly does kind of, you know, um, what's what's the what's the saying? It kind of takes the not takes the pressure off. Wow, I'm really struggling with the the expressions today. It's uh, <laughs> it uh, softens the blow. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, there we go. Um, and also, big news that came out on Monday. This is part of the reason why I'm recording a day late but also because of Thanksgiving, of course. So happy Thanksgiving to my North Americans. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. Um, But on Monday, the cost cap comes out after it was delayed on Wednesday or whatever it was. And guys, we in fact have three teams that had, well, two teams with breaches, a third team that was mentioned. So I'll start with that third team. It's Williams. They like submitted it late and had like a procedural breach, but then... I guess it was settled and it was done in a timely manner or something. I can't remember the exact words. Basically, Williams was mentioned, but they're off the hook. Aston Martin did not overspend. However, they committed a procedural breach. I'm not sure what exactly that entails. They just must have like submitted their documents wrong or something. However, everything is fine. Then there is Red Bull, who committed both those crimes. It is a minor overspend, meaning it's 5% of the budget which can go up to $7 million. However, everyone has seemed to be saying that it's between $1 and $2 million. I've heard $1.8. And I know a lot of jokes have been regarding, you know, it was $1.8 million worth of catering or whatever. It doesn't matter what that $1.8 million was. If everyone, if it, if it was catering, and let's say catering was a part of everyone else's cost cap, it does not matter because that $1.8 million could be spent on anything. You could say it was $1.8 million worth of developments. You could say it was $1.8 million worth of travel. I don't actually know what exactly goes into the cost cap, to be honest. I haven't looked that far into it. But this whole thing like, oh, who cares? It was $1.8 million on food. It doesn't matter. If everyone else had to put that into their cost cap, which I'm not sure is the case, to be fair. But yeah, it doesn't matter. So just to say that it was on food... Well, you could say that the, if the first $1.8 million were spent on food, what was the last one? Like, you know what I mean? It's just kind of stupid to, to make that excuse. So the FIA announced that, but they did not announce the penalties. So I think I kind of mentioned this on last episode. I didn't think Red Bull would actually overspend because I thought that, you know, I called them a well-oiled machine. I didn't think they'd make such a fundamental error. But apparently they have. Apparently they've misunderstood something there because they still say they're shocked and disappointed to find out that they breached the cost cap. So clearly they missed something and thought that it wasn't something that they were spending their money on. They didn't think went towards the cost cap. So I think that if that is the case, that probably will be less of a penalty. However, if you really want to enforce this cost cap, which a lot of people are saying you have to enforce like strict penalties on this stuff, right? So I know, obviously, like Mercedes and Ferrari want very strict penalties. Um, And I even heard like Martin Brundle. He was like, this isn't a great crime. But, you know, if we want to have a legit cost cap, you have to give legit penalties. However, I even the Mercedes fan, even the guy who wants Lewis Hamilton so badly to get his eighth, I just really don't think it would be the right call to take away Max Verstappen's driver's championship. I do think, however, and it's hard to go back and be like, oh, we're taking away all these constructors points or whatever. Um, 
because, you know, they already got the prize money. They already got the arrow testing time. So you have to penalize them in the future. And I think the best way to go about that is to find them, but give them like a cost cap fine. So they have basically restrictions for next season. They have a lesser cost cap than the rest of the grid and they get less arrow testing time as well. Um, in terms of like suspension from stages of the championship, I think that's unnecessary. They don't need to take anything away from 2021. You can leave Max's championship, but I think they should face heavy penalties going into the future. Penalties that make their lives a lot harder because, you know, they made a pretty big mistake and every other team was able to figure this out. Had every team made this mistake, then hey, it wouldn't matter. The FIA would just be like, you guys are idiots, read the rules. We intended it to be this way. However, it seemed that just Red Bull were misinterpreting this. So, you know, they should face a serious penalty. They should face a fine. They should have to, you know, follow stricter cost cap rules and, you know, lose aero testing time, which is crucial for the teams. They're already going to have the least because they're going to win the constructors. I think they should lose even more because I think this, you know, people are arguing too. And in a 2021 season, this was a huge one for the cost cap because it affected the the new regulations. So if they're able to spend more money and get a head start on the regulations, which I know probably isn't the case, but hey, that's what the cost cap is for. So they have to, you know, enforce these rules. So they they got to they got to do something and I think they have to penalize them a little bit in 2022, but I think it's more so you have to penalize them for the future. And the last thing that I'll quickly mention, um, the W Series, unfortunately, is now today's canceled the last three um, races of the season. So that makes Jamie Chadwick a three-time W Series champion in three seasons. It was it was unfortunate news. You know, I actually don't mind watching W Series here and there. Like I said, I, it's hard for me. I can't watch F2 and F3 a lot either. I try to when I can. It's the same with W Series, to be honest. I, I, I enjoy any any racing. I enjoy the feeder series, so I watch it every once in a while. And I hope that Jamie Chadwick gets another chance in F3 um, or even F2. I think F3 is probably the right call, but, hey, if it's F2, that's, that's even better. Um, they say it's financial reasons and that they're planning on, you know, having a championship for next year still and all that, but... I just think that can't be great news if they have to cancel their last three races of the season. Chadwick had it all but wrapped up anyway. I don't know if that's actually playing a factor at all because they're like, well, Jamie's going to win the championship, so we really need these last three uh, races. Um, But, yeah, no, still unfortunate for sure. And I think the W Series is a great idea. It's a flawed idea for sure, but it is a great idea, and I hope that it continues um so yeah that'll do it for the julian palmer episode of break bias i can't believe how how long we ended up running to be honest but uh yeah i'm your host brad kramer and i'll be back with episode 31 next week to preview the united states grand prix i love me some coda goodbye